And now we, we begin to see how God's got all of these things for us to do and that his power is going to then help us get those things accomplished. That's what we talked about all last week. But that's where things, I believe, can get a little complicated uh, because I've seen too many churches fall into the sin of, of pride that comes when you start to do things well. You start to realize, boy, we're a good church. Boy, we got a great benevolence program, and boy, we sure teach the Word of God well. And Boy, we, we are so good at what we do. And all of a sudden, you're a church that's uh, kind of getting the glory for yourself rather than passing that glory on to God. It's too easy to think too highly of our own efforts in being a great church. So today we're going to look at what the very first uh, characteristic that Paul commends the church in Thessalonica uh, about, and that is about a faith that is focused in the right direction, a faith that's focused on the righteousness of God rather than the righteousness of the church. I want to start out by showing you kind of a key verse that will be a key for this week, next week, and the following week. And I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version because of the wording that we find there. In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at the work of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about the labor of love. And the third week, we're going to be talking about the steadfastness of hope in our Lord. But right away, when you start to look at the work of faith, you begin to to understand the tension that has existed for millions, um, sorry, thousands of years. (laughs) Uh, The tension between faith and work. Is it faith that makes us right with God, or is it our works that make us right with God? Paul commends the believers in Thessalonica for their work of faith. (laughs) Talk about kind of a can of worms that he opens up there. Now, some people live their entire lives thinking that they have to work in order for God to accept them. They have to work for their faith. they got to work for their salvation. Other people throw out any kind of work that needs to be done because they know it's only a matter of trusting in Jesus. It's only a matter of belief. Well, the truth is the Bible actually talks about being saved by grace, through faith, not of works so that we should not boast about our own righteousness. But the Bible also talks about how faith without any kind of demonstration, without any kind of works, is dead faith and cannot save us. And so we see this quandary. And and then you have passages like John chapter 6, where somebody asks Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? You kind of see their mentality there. And Jesus replies, well, the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent. Well, that doesn't clear much up, Jesus. Come on. You still are talking about work and faith. So what is this work of faith that we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3? Well, in Bible college, they teach you that if you come across something that's a little difficult in one part of Scripture, look in the other parts of Scripture because there's probably going to be some clearer teaching and you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So we are blessed to know that Paul actually continues to talk about faith throughout these two letters to the Thessalonian church. 
And so there in chapter 1 even, we read from verse 8 through verse 10 more about faith. Here's something else that we can understand about faith, starting in verse 8. Paul says, The Lord's message rang out from you, talking about this church in Thessalonica, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, the surrounding neighbors of Thessalonica, but he says, Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. Their faith was being proclaimed. For they, verse 9, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, a couple things that I would like to point out here as we look at what faith is all about here uh, according to Paul. First of all, you got to recall back in Acts chapter 17. When this church was planted, uh, it says in Acts chapter 17, that some of the first believers were some of the Jews in Thessalonica, some of the God-fearing Greeks in Thessalonica, and not a few prominent women. So at least part of the church is made up of people who had already put their faith in God. Okay? They had already put their faith in the Old Testament God, Jehovah. Um, they'd already uh, seen the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as their God. And yet, Paul still tells them that they turned to God that they already believed in from idols. Which is interesting because now the question comes up, is it possible to actually have faith in Jehovah and still have trust in idols and still have these other idols in your life? Well, hello, have you ever looked around where we live in America? Do, do, do we put a faith in God? Absolutely we do. But do we also put our faith in so many other things? Of course we do. Uh, the, I, I heard a story about a Chinese man who had visited the United States who went back to China and was asked about our culture and, and, and our economy and our religion. And they said, uh, do they worship idols? And the Chinese man said, yes, they do. Uh, they have three idols. In winter, they worship a fat man in a red suit. In, in the spring, they, they worship a rabbit. And in fall, they sacrifice a turkey. <laughs> now, that's, that's not the kind of idols that I'm actually talking about, really. But it's really, you don't have to look too far to see that our culture has elevated the gods of, oh, I don't know, greed and power and pride and lusts and prestige and fame, and vengeance. Folks, we sacrifice unborn children to the idol of convenience. We we spend our way into debt to appease the twin idols of discontentment and covetousness. And we build monuments in our own image in the name of rugged individualism and independence. There's a story in in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 about King Amaziah. We are told that as a young man, Amaziah loved and served the Lord. But in his later days, when he became king, he actually went to war against the Edomites and won this great victory. And at the end of the war, he took all of the Edomites' gods and he brought them to his own home and began to sacrifice incense to them and bow before these gods of the Edomites. And God shows up saying, excuse me, Amaziah, did those gods, 
Were they able to save the Edomites? No? Well, then why are you trusting in them? Why have you forsaken me? And he goes, Amaziah says, oh, no, I still have you. And God goes, no, I'm either Lord of all or I am not Lord at all. You cannot have a worship of me and then take all these other idols that were not able to save the Edomites and bring them in just in case. So Paul says, folks, you used to be like that. You had a belief in God, but you also had these idols. But because of the gospel of Jesus, you turned from those idols to put your faith 100% in the living God. No more mixing of the pagan practices with your faith in God. Now, let me ask you today, as you look at your life, is it evident, can somebody look at your life and know what you're putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith solely in the God that can save? Or are you adding to your religion? You know, anymore we have Apple Plus and Disney Plus. But for thousands of years, the church has had Jesus Plus. Which sounds great, except for when you realize what that means. It's like, yes, it is Jesus Plus some other things. It's Jesus Plus my church attendance. It's Jesus Plus my tithing. It's Jesus plus my daily devotions. It's Jesus plus my good works. Now, don't get me wrong. Church attendance, tithing, daily devotions, all of those things are wonderful. Doing good things in the name of Jesus are great. But if you are relying on your salvation to come from those things, you have missed the idea of what the gospel is all about. So the work of faith is, is actually a paradox because it shouldn't be hard work. In fact, when Jesus was talking to a group of people who that's what their life was all about, was to make sure that they obeyed every single law in order to be made right with God, he said to them this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened with all of these rules and regulations and laws that you have to go through in order to become righteous. He says, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus was telling these people, folks, it's not on you. You've got to trust me. And that should be a relief. But ironically, it's not. Ironically, it tends to be very hard work to drop our own self-righteousness and actually put our full weight on Jesus, on his sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection from the dead. We got to stop trusting in those idols, those idols of self-righteousness. We got to put our full weight on Jesus and it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus His death and resurrection that makes us right with God. That's the first thing that that I wanted you to see from there. The second thing is about how their lives then did model what Jesus wanted them to model. Because there is now works involved after faith is expressed. As they embraced faith, Paul says the news of their faith rang out. There in verse 8. It rang out. Now, what does that mean? Well, once again, there's this tension between faith and works because faith is something that God does in us. 
Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not by works, so that any man should boast. Then it goes on to say, we are God's workmanship, but don't miss this. We are God's workmanship created to do good works. You see, we can't get those things backwards, but we still need to understand that as we express our faith in the the righteousness that comes from Jesus, now there is a responsibility, an opportunity for us to wring out that faith so other people can see. So it does matter what we do. We work out what God has worked in to us, as Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Okay, there's that salvation. But God is now working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, works are are important, but you have to put them in the right order. That's why Paul talks about the gospel coming to them in power, back in verse 5. So in verse 8, when it says, your faith rang out, boy, this is the only time in the New Testament that that term rang out actually is used. But it does reflect some things from the Old Testament. For example, Joel chapter 2. Joel says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all who dwell in the land tremble for the day of the Lord, which is when God will come down and bring his righteousness and cleanse out all of the sinful, uh, sinful areas of the world and, and, and come in judgment. That day of the Lord is coming. In fact, is it, it is at hand. Blowing the trumpet would mean that we are sounding an alarm, getting people ready to know that this is going to happen one day. Ezekiel 33. If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, the images of uh, of a guy that's on the, the tower looking out at an army that is approaching and he has now the job to blow a trumpet to make sure people know that the enemy is on its way in. He says, if that person does not blow the trumpet, then he will be held accountable by the Lord. Now, obviously, that is a metaphor for if we've got the truth and we're not willing to share it with people who are destined for an eternity away from God, then we're going to be held accountable. Our lives should reflect and should have that trumpet call. And then 1 Corinthians, although Paul uses a different word, he shows why clarity is so important. He says, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? You know, this is, you know, you, you are in the army and there's, there's all these different trumpet calls that you can have. And if you are the trumpeter or the bugler and you don't know what you're doing, your army is going to be confused. Folks, if we cannot live out the faith that God has put into us, then, then we're, not, we're, we're not being as clear as we could for this world, and we will just be confusing for people who do not yet know the Lord. You see, it's very apparent throughout Scripture that when we are saved, 
when we show faith in God, it will produce something in us that shows people where we are, whose side we are in, and what's going on in our life. In other words, our new life in Christ must serve as a clear trumpet call for other people to find salvation as well. Now, another place in the Thessalonian letters that that Paul talks about faith is in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 2 through 4 and 7 through 8. Let's read that. He said, We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. There it is. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. And then jump down to verse 7. It says, Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. See, for, for Paul, faith in God didn't just produce good works, but it also provided a solid foundation for times like what we're living in now. When things don't go according to plan, when things get a little tough, when persecution happens or when tough times come, the faith in our God allows us to stand firm. Let me tell you about Chippy the parakeet. I I have come across this story so many times. I thought it was so cheesy. I never wanted to share it with you guys. But then I read it this week and I started chuckling. I go, you know what? This is actually a, a good story for this week. Chippy the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched on his, uh, in his cage. The next he got sucked in, washed up, and blown over. See, the problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean its cage with a vacuum cleaner. Took the little uh, nozzle uh, attachment off and had that tube, began to, to clear out the cage. The phone rings. She was distracted, and all of a sudden... Chippy's gone. Startled, the lady turns off the vacuum, opens it up, and there's Chippy, still alive, but now quite stunned. All matted up with dirt and dust and soot, she now takes him and takes him into the bathroom, turns on the tub water, and as the the tub water's just pouring out, she puts Chippy underneath the, the faucet as water is now drenching him. Now she realizes that she has this wet bird that is just shivering, and so she now takes him over to the sink, grabs the hair dryer, and begins to blow dry the, the, the bird. A few days later, somebody comes over to just check on the situation and uh, says, how's Chippy doing? And the owner says, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore, just kind of sits and stares. Folks, our world right now has been, has been sucked in, washed up, blown over. And they're kind of sitting there looking stunned. <laughs> we have a bunch of uh, people around us that don't sing anymore because they don't see the joy. They don't have the understanding that God's got this. But we do, folks. Life can be like this for the believer as well. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul and his companions show up in Thessalonica, they brought trouble with them. And even after they got out of the city, 
a guy named Jason was dragged before the courts and, and there was more persecution that was happening with these people who put their faith in Jesus and yet they never stopped trusting in their Lord. That's what faith is all about. Well, what, what is it about faith that helps us stand firm? Well, I, I think the answer lies in the book of Hebrews. For, for you see, our faith in God is going to enable us to approach whatever comes at us through a different lens, allowing us to see a bigger picture. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Which tells me that there's a realm going on out there that we don't see, that we can be certain about. I, I think I've told this story before, but uh, my dad told me a story a long time ago that when he was 19 or 20, preaching in a little church in Oklahoma, and uh, in that church, there was a quilting bee, a little quilting circle like we have on Mondays and Tuesday mornings. And, and uh, he would go down and see the ladies every now and then just to see how they were doing. And, and one time they, they asked him, Don, what do you think? And they showed him a quilt. Now, honestly, it was the worst looking quilt that my dad had ever seen in his life. There were threads all over the place. Uh, the cutouts were still very choppy and, and, and rough, and it, it didn't look good at all. It didn't seem like there was any kind of pattern whatsoever. But Dad didn't want to, you know, get fired, number one, because you, you, don't, you don't make the quilting ladies mad, okay, and keep your job. But he also wanted to be nice, but he didn't want to lie either. He didn't know how to say this, so he said, well, I, I, well it looks interesting. And that's when the ladies began to laugh. And they turned the quilt over. See, he had been looking at the back side of the quilt where they were still working on it, and it was all hodgepodge. It was all uh, needles in it and, and thread that wasn't connected and, and still pieces that were kind of chopped and rough around the edges. He realized he had been looking at the wrong side of the quilt, and on the other side there was this beautiful, beautiful pattern that the ladies had been working on. My dad says, you know, that's a lot of times like our lives. When we look, we don't see any kind of pattern. We see a bunch of mess rough around the edges. We don't get it. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? This doesn't look good. I don't understand. And God says, I know, but you're only looking at this side of it, Trey. He says, you, you got to understand, I've got a plan. I've got a beauty. I've got a pattern to this. I've got this. That's really what faith is all about and how we can keep that faith amidst those storms of life. When faced with the storms, we must always understand that there's more going on than meets the eye. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the dark powers of this world. So we must trust that God has the bigger picture in mind while we only see the bits and pieces, he sees the design. Right now, I invite the uh, worship team to come on back up. Back to the desert, though, with the uh, buried water. I know for some of you, that's a hard question to answer. Because for you, knowing that you have water right there, that's just too much of a temptation. It's too big of a risk to pour that out and not use it for yourself. It's too hard of a work. And yet, folks, let me tell you this, that if that note is true that you read, 
and if this bottle really will unlock the well that will just run over and, and, and take care of your thirst like nobody's business, you'll understand that not only will you be taken care of, but it will benefit other people that come behind you. That's what the work of faith is all about. It's not just to save you. It's so that other people will see what God does in you and that they will come to the water as well. This is what I believe that Paul is commending the church in Thessalonica uh, in regards to. Their faith in God allowed them to continue to grow into what God designed them to be. That's what I would love for us as a church to begin to, to, to realize, that God designed us to be a certain kind of church. And I, I would pray that we would see that and embrace that. It reminds me of a story about two butterflies that had just emerged from their cocoons. And one of them said, hey, friend, let's, let's go fly. Let's go fly. And the second caterpillar said, uh, caterpillars don't fly. And the, second, and the first said, but we're not caterpillars anymore. We're, we're, we're now butterflies. Don't be silly, said the other one. We were always caterpillars. We were born caterpillars. We always will be caterpillars. The first butterfly said, then why did the maker give us wings? <laughs> the second, second butterfly says, that's a cruel joke. I mean, he gave ostrich wings too. Ostriches don't fly. The first butterfly says, but look at all those butterflies out there. They're all flying. He says, that's an illusion. They're just being blown around by the wind. And that's very foolish and very dangerous because now they can be eaten by the birds. He says, listen, I'm going to stick to crawling and climbing. Thank you very much. It may be slow, but it's safe. Folks, I've hoped that you've made the decision as you live out the Imago Dei, the image of God, that you'll stop crawling, that you'll stop just climbing, stop playing it slow and safe. I pray that you would see that our function, the way God designed you as a believer and us as a church, is to dance on the wings of faith, allowing Jesus to be a righteousness, but then to proclaim to the world the power of God to change them through the Holy Spirit, to change marriages and addictions and habits and priorities and everything else he gets a hold of. As we bear the Imago Dei, there is hope that even those around us will discover that they have wings as well. I'd encourage you as you leave today, to look at that great hall, to see all of those ministries and missions that are happening in our community. Folks, you don't have to go to Uganda. In fact, right now you can't go to Uganda. But you can go to Prineville. You can go to the Pregnancy Resource Center. You can go to the Redemption House. You can get involved with Men of Action. You can be involved in the holiday gift exchange program. You, you, you can be involved in the shepherd's house. There are places you can be praying for, participating in, donating to, right here in our community, so that we can be the church that God wants us to be as we work our faith in the way that he would commend us for. 